Serious fun. What up, what up? Episode 7, here we are, David. As promised, we are back. Numero 7. Numero, is that 7? 7? Mm-hmm. That's good. Thank you. How you been? Good. Yeah? yeah? How's your week been? Good. What you been up to, dude? Getting some chops in. Getting some garden chops in. Thanks for coming over on Tuesday. Getting in the yard. I That's love good. getting yeah. chops in the garden. Mm-hmm. And it's it's upgraded. We have to give it a different title than garden, yeah, right? Yeah, it's moved on from garden. Where are we in the uh, homesteading process? If we've upgraded from garden, where are we? Budding early stages homestead. I love it. Yeah. We're in the early stages of a homestead right now, ladies early and gentlemen. Stages. Early stages. When you imagine the project, like, if you were to turn the property you're on now into a homestead what is the time horizon when you think if you're in the early stages what is it where are you going with it um it'll look a lot different by spring of you know or certainly this time next year and then it'll look a lot different in three years and then ultimately from there most of the stuff will then just i imagine mature and it'll just keep getting cooler but without nearly as much work and effort so outside of pure wilderness, is there anything more natural living-wise than homesteading, in your opinion? Mm. No. I mean, yeah, that's about as natural as it gets, is living on the land and being close to nature and connected with nature. And and if you're if someone is really dialed into this, uh, you're using the wild in conjunction with your domestic home, mm. if that makes sense. You totally. Know, uh, you're not necessarily building your house. As, it's not oriented toward the street or towards the main road because that's the front and doesn't matter what way the sun's facing. It doesn't matter, you know, yada, yada, yada. But if you're, if you're connecting it in with nature and living in that way, then you can use nature for your benefit and uh, get a lot of, uh, use a lot of resources in a sustainable and replicable way. Why did you go in this direction? Because it is nourishing for the mind, body, soul. Uh, it is a future income generating activity. It is a current and future sustainability and, and fueling activity you know i'm getting handfuls of berries now uh in three years it'll be buckets of berries right you know and so it's just things can continue to to build and grow out you know and so um i started with three rabbits on february 22nd and didn't know shit and now i know (laughs) a little bit more than jack shit and i have in the 30s like i don't even know wow yeah well there has to be a why here why did you start doing this outside of recreation and hobby? Because it's the right way to live, I think. You know, I believe it's the right way to live. And ultimately, I think it's it's a better way of living than being indoors and sick and fat and disconnected and unhappy and unfulfilled. And, you know, uh, the indoor comfort life is an easy life. And it also doesn't mean that you have to reject any of that or that it's, you know, a bad thing. But I think most people don't have... 
um, nearly enough outside time. And I like to stack up my outside time in ways other than just walking around or working out or something along those lines. You know, I was thinking about saving this for another show, and this isn't, we're not opening yet, but since you said it, I'm just going to play a clip that I had reserved uh, for later, and it's about just that. Like, what is, so what you're doing is counter norm of today's society in the Western world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, counter norm. So if nat and natural living itself is opposed to artificial living, and this yeah. show is called Artificial Everything. This isn't my opinion that natural and artificial are diametrically opposed. It's a fact. By definition. Well, I'll go ahead. Yeah. Let's let's start with this clip for what is normal today. This is from you you might recognize these people. Well, yeah, if we take a look at a baseline of what is normal for most people, I would say that normal is like high stress environment. I would say normal is waking up to a blaring alarm clock. I would say normal is waking up to a blaring alarm clock after a shitty night's sleep. I would after say that, going a million miles an hour and running into a brick wall and go to bed and not down regulating at all. Yeah, um, yeah. With blue light all over their faces right up until the time they go to bed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, eating late at night, snacks, goodies, drinks, um, swiping until 2 a.m. A nightcap uh, to wind yeah. down. Yeah, watching Netflix, um, ordering their dinner on Uber Eats. Yeah, Netflix, YouTube, scrolling um, in the middle of the night when they're up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, coffee first thing. Coffee. Coffee. Straight to the coffee machine. No sunlight. No bare feet. Um, let's see what I mean. To pop a pill first thing in the morning. Many pills to just yeah, be able have to have a big glass of of. Orange juice. orange juice. Well, yeah. And then the work from home having leads. Yeah. And the work from home having the last two years. How many people wake up and go to sleep and never go outside? Yeah. yeah. No steps. Let the dog out the backyard and yell at it as in, go, go to potty. Without <laughs> stepping forward out, without stepping outside. Let yeah. it in the backyard. Oh my God. My dogs, my dogs ask me to go back inside. Well, for those who couldn't tell, part, one of the voices present was Dave Robinson himself, and that was from what, Dave? The Get and Lifted podcast, recent episode called Fat, Sick, and Disconnected. And y'all uh, rattled off some things there. There's another list of things y'all are about to rattle off here yeah. in the second part of the clip, and then we'll pick up on it after about a minute. That's yeah, I mean, and then let's talk, okay, like the products that they're using, right? Toxic cleaners in the house, the women, all of our beauty products, the mm. tampons you're putting up your vagina that are soaked in God knows what. Um, Men's boxers with all kinds of junk. The, the soaps you're using, the face creams, the eyeshadow, the... Deodorant, men, perfume, your toothpaste sucks. Yeah, your toothpaste sucks for real. Your toothpaste sucks. I'm talking. It's really fun. For real. Yeah. Do we say tap water? I said tap water. No water. Drinking soda. Wi-Fi. Plastic. That's okay. You guys want to talk about one that I take for granted? You know, after making the journey over the last decade plus, like when you talk to someone, like how much water do you do drink a day? I don't know. Maybe two glasses. Dude. Dude. Dude, dude, dude. And that was 8, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. on that list. I didn't even include like daytime stuff. 
right. largely. You know, that's the nighttime routine and morning routine and a small list of environmental toxins and things to look after. You know, and the context of that conversation was how how in many ways the odds are stacked against the average American, let's call it, in terms of all the things that can negatively affect mental, physical, emotional health. And also in that same context, it's still uh, it's still one's responsibility once one understands that it is an issue and that there are things going on. There's something that we could do about it. Like then, it, okay, now it's your responsibility to to continue to uh, elevate and and lift and evolve into um, you know somebody who is mentally, emotionally, physically stable and capable and happy and sound. What did the majority of the products that y'all listed off there, what did they share in common? The reason that we should avoid them is because they're full of what? Artificial shit. Now, this has been promised for so long, since pretty much since we started, we collectively, started putting artificial shit and creating artificial shit and putting it into stuff. It has always been sold on the promise that it's going to make things better, that this is a better version of, of nature, and that we should embrace it because it's so great that we have all of these things it's making us our lives better somehow but when you really look back at the history of all of that there's actually a very strong there's not a strong case that artificial has made things better for everybody oh you made plastic congratulations now it's pouring over and killing the sea life and 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 develop you know making islands of of plastic out in the middle of nowhere yeah there's always a cause and effect you know um Dude, refrigeration is great. Great. Being able to store foods and keep and preserve foods. I mean, I open my fridge and freezer a lot. A lot. And it would be a very different world if we had to store food and we didn't have access to refrigeration. You know, And then the other side of that, it uses a lot no of energy. No about it. No doubt about it. It uses a lot of energy. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of energy. You know, so I mean, it's... There's a cause and effect for everything. There is a cause and effect for everything, and what I hope to do is simply deconstruct. Okay? So while it would be low-hanging fruit for us to go on a journey deconstructing all the artificial ingredients and all the artificial products that have been sold and all of the ways that that's impacted our overall physical well-being, what I instead intend to do today as we really kick off the show with our opening clip is to deconstruct this whole idea of artificial intelligence, okay? I personally don't believe that artificial things are can be better than natural things. I think any time that anybody creates something artificial, it is with the hope of recreating the real value of nature. And then why? Because it's if you can then replicate... Uh, what nature tries to do or get as close to nature as you can, then you can do it at scale. Whereas nature takes its own time and it's a very hands-off process, nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. So over the la- the reason that I'm doing this show now, after having taken people on a journey for five and six of mind your business, meaning like, hey, there's some mind control tactics being weaponized against you. And then episode six, here are some things that you can do to begin reclaiming your mental sovereignty over this thing. I hope that this episode is viewed under those under that lens. So 
Uh, if you're listening so far and you haven't heard episodes five or six, I do recommend you go back and arm yourself with some of this knowledge, which is mind control is happening in different ways. You're being nudged into ideas. And one of them is artificial intelligence. So this right here to start the show is Arthur C. Clarke. He was a futurist in the 60s, 50s and 60s, and this is all the way back in 1964. Most intelligent inhabitants of that future world won't be men or monkeys. They'll be machines, the remote descendants of today's computers. Now, the present-day electronic brains are complete morons, but this will not be true in another generation. They will start to think, and eventually they will completely outthink their makers. Is this depressing? I don't see why it should be. We superseded the Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal men, and we presume we're an improvement. I think we should regard it as a privilege to be stepping stones to higher things. I suspect that organic or biological evolution has about come to its end, and we are now at the beginning of inorganic or mechanical evolution, which will be thousands of times swifter. Boo! Boo! Boo this man! Boo! Hit a boo button. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's that's how I would have been if I had listened to this guy. Yeah. Crickets. Fucking clown. He used inorganic. What's another word for inorganic? Artificial. Nailed it. Yeah. Great job. There's one for one today. Yeah, exactly. Artificial. Inorganic is artificial. I imagine that there's a reason that they moved away from the word inorganic and chose to upgrade it with artificial. I'm just That's a hypothesis. That's just a hunch. So the first thing I want to do is let's do what we do, which is break down words, shall we? So I have right here the definition of artificial. This is from the Oxford Languages Dictionary. It's what populates on Google if you look up the term artificial definition. Made or produced by human beings rather than occurring naturally, especially as a copy of something natural, all right? Or meaning not existing naturally. That's one definition of artificial. So if humans are making it, it's not natural. It's artificial. could be art. I don't know. But another one here that I've uh, noticed is of a person or their behavior, insincere or affected. So artificial is also a word, a way to say insincere. And my personal hypothesis, and the, and the this is a hypothesis, it's not, not a theory, I'm... I see this belief system evolving, and I wanted to play that clip from the 60s first because this is not a new idea. Artificial intelligence is not a new idea, and the predisposition to believing the artificial future has now been starting to be groomed or embedded into the culture since at least the 60s, but I'd say you can go back to some sci-fi stuff way back in the day. Now, uh, let's see. What are you seeing here, Dave? Click that real quick. Artifice? Yeah. All right. See, artifice. I also have the etymology here, and I'll go back to that. But the etymology is, yeah, from artificium, Latin word for hand, handicraft. The handicraft, not natural or spontaneous, back in the old Latin roots. So um, where we're starting, and what is artifice? 
clever or cunning devices or expedients, especially used as a trick or to deceive others. I'm telling you, man, you go down the word game, all of a sudden you're like, (laughs) what the heck? Artificial. This is your uh, middle English etymology origin. Clever or cunning devices or expedients, especially as used to trick or to deceive others. What the heck? Son of a gun, man. This is not pre-planned, ladies and gentlemen. This is live lookup. We're discovering this right now. Right now. So this, this to me, again, it's not new. So because it's not new, uh, I'm for in a future episode, I'm going to give some even deeper dive into the belief systems that brought this about. But today, I'm going to focus on how artificial intelligence is being covered in the media, how it's being described by the quote-unquote leaders of the uh, uh, big tech industry and people that are at the leading edge of artificial intelligence. And then I'm going to briefly introduce where I believe that this is going and what is driving that. So let's start with some news deconstruction, shall we? This one is from PBS. AI tool ChatGPT has the potential to influence our lives, dramatically changing how we gather information, how we communicate, even how we work. There are also questions about how it will affect governance and what it means for the future of our democracy. William Brangham has that, and it's part of our periodic series, The AI Frontier. Did you happen to catch what their, they said ChatGPT, mm-hmm. and their concern that it's going to have an impact on what? I'll play it like real quick. Governance and what governance and what oh, it means so. will affect governance and affect governance. Governance or what? Government. Government is what? Mind control. Oh man, so they're worried about how it's going to affect their ability to govern or to control our mind. That's what they're really saying. But that's that's what they're actually saying. They may not realize it, but that that's what they're saying. The focus in the news with PBS here is like, oh no, how is this going to affect governance? Let's see. Could AI be used to distort democracy, not through voting, but using the technology's ability to mimic human communication and language through lobbying? That's a question raised in a recent New York Times opinion piece by security expert Bruce Schneier. Schneier is a fellow at Harvard University's Berkman Center for Internet and Society and the Belfer Center at the Kennedy School of Government. He's the author of a new book just out called A Hacker's Mind. Bruce Schneier, great to have you on the program. Uh, when you look at these AI technologies, uh, what is it that most troubles you about its potential threat to democracy? Really where it mimics humans. I mean, democracy is fundamentally a human way of organizing ourselves. And where an AI, whether it's a chat GPT that is writing human text or another AI that is figuring out human strategy, can do that at a speed and scale that humans can't, it could take over processes and really subvert the intent of this very human system. Governments, government's like, hey, you can't be having people out there hijacking our system with AI. We're in charge of controlling these humans. They used an M word in there to describe artificial intelligence. Did you happen to catch it? I did not specifically. Mimicry. Mimicry. 
mimicry. It is a it mimics. What does it mean to mimic? The action, the action or art of imitating someone or something, typically in the order in order to entertain or to ridicule. Uh, let's see if we can get some more definitions here. The close mm-hmm. external resemblance of an animal or plant to another animal or plant. So the act or action of imitating. Uh, I think that this is. A, I, I don't believe this is going to be the last time we hear that word used to describe AI as mimicry. This is part of why I think it's a psyop, because intelligence and mimicry are not the same thing. Also, thinking and computing are not the same thing. So a computer computes. A computer performs computations. Okay? It doesn't necessarily think. Now, it may be able to mimic thinking, but it's not actually thinking. It's an art. It's it's aggregating. It's an it's an artificial. I might be out of a job in that case. I mean, not good, dude. <laughs> might be, it might have me out of a job uh, being the aggregator. But what I'm getting at is they're using a word to describe something that is engaging in a different behavior. They're calling it intelligence, but really it's mimicry through the process of fast computation. Now, some may be saying, well, isn't that what the brain does? It's just a series of computations. And I believe that what is happening here is that we, it's not the first time humans have projected human qualities onto something. In the history of human, we, we, got, a real, we got a real strong track record of projecting human qualities onto things that, don't, that aren't human. But what if we started to take language that we use to describe to something else and then we, we flip it? And then we begin using it as a way of describing us. So we're not computers. Yes. But now we're using computers and tech as a metaphor for the human body. It's like, oh, we just, you know, what they call it medical software. Right? The language of computers has now been flipped to then be a way to describe humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hardware, software components yeah man but if you want to control something you control the language you control the language um i got two more from the pbs this is a setup clip can you give me some examples like how how would this be used to to corrupt the system as you describe it yeah let's see so one of the things we have in our system is an ability to submit comments when federal rulemaking agencies make draft rules we are allowed to submit comments back and we humans submit comments. If an AI can submit thousands, millions of comments, it could overwhelm human comments. I mean, this is sort of the ultimate fake astroturf campaign. It's sort of what the Department of Justice accused the Russians of doing in the 2016 election. And the Russians had hundreds of people and a million dollar a month budget to do it. What this does is it brings that capabilities down to a lot of other actors. But yes, it's exactly that same thing. Your assertion is that if you could suddenly flood the zone with all of these, quote unquote, fake comments or opinions, then you could distort what popular will really was about any given topic. That's right. That's how we figure out what people want is we ask them and they tell us and we don't ask them in person. We ask them remotely and they tell us remotely. So having an artificial agent mimic people subverts that process. Other AIs uh, doing other types of analysis could figure out what uh, 
legislators are more susceptible to having their minds changed. I mean, again, these are very human actions. Lobbyists do this. But having an automated process supplanting that just gives that capability more power. I think he's making a fair, you know, he's, he's bringing up a fair threat there. But the intent of that little clip series was to highlight that one of the ways that it's being covered is a, as a, a possible threat to democracy and to governance itself. So one might think that that's because that they have a legitimate concern that, uh, uh, that this is going to harm humanity somehow. I, that, that, but to me, whenever something like this is brought up, my first inclination now is like, okay, who's set to benefit from making a scare of saying this could hurt governance? Does that usually when somebody's making that argument, uh, do you imagine that they're trying to uh, give away power of the government or to take more power for the government? Take and keep, keep and take more. Because if they if we don't grant it to them, then what might happen? I mean, we might claw a little power back. Well, no. Apparently, if we don't give it to them, we're going to get overrun. Oh, you see, that. yeah, got it. We're going to get overrun if we don't give over the power. So we need to make the case that this is scary for governance. That's an from important their point of view. Yeah. From their point of view, so that's that's one of the ways that this is being covered is as a possible threat to governance. Let's see. This is a another uh, a different series. This is from NBC, and this is to again highlight what's being covered when it comes to artificial intelligence and to AI in general? What are the things that are being talked about? And then I think that there's a bigger concern. Michael Dieter has been awaiting a lung transplant at the University of Florida Health Center since December. A dedicated team of doctors and nurses attend to him day and night. But that's not all. Sensors and cameras track Dieter's every move in this smart, intensive care unit, from vital signs to facial expressions and everything in between. More than 350 gigabytes of information per patient goes into a central computer, where artificial intelligence then processes the data. We could look at the patient and go, they're moving a lot. There's yes. something going on there. Or their face has a certain grimace Absolutely. to it that they normally Absolutely. don't have. Is it possible that it could tell you before I even know that I'm having problems? Yes, 100%. We will be able to decipher complex features, complex emotions like agitation or hunger. So on one hand, we have, we're talking about the possible dangers and the and the the danger that was being presented is that it's a danger to governance but on the on this one we're getting it as like a this is something to look forward to Mm -hmm. where is this taking place well it sounds like it is in mother russia or um some other mother russia hospital give the home country no they're like hey we're going to use ai for better hospital experiences yeah and because it'll be a medical medical medical. yeah yeah so let's keep going on so this is a possible usage of AI that they're that they're trying to promote. Funded by the National Institutes of Health, the high-tech experiment enters its third year. Researchers are still teaching the technology what certain actions like sitting and standing might indicate. The hope that AI will soon be able to provide real-time healthcare recommendations. 
But will this new technology replace the need for humans in the hospital altogether? They are very simplistic uh, models compared to what our brains are doing. And I don't think that we should be worried about humans being replaced anytime soon. Anytime soon. Don't have to worry about that. Don't worry about it. Yeah, man. It, uh, they're saying it might replace jobs. Yeah. Now, industrial industrialist thinking. Let's go back to that, David. We've we've gone over how industrialists think. Are they real keen on spending money that they don't have to? Not at all. What do they do instead? They repurpose waste products mm-hmm. and make more money. Yes, they do. Yep. So whatever they can do to shave off the bottom line is of interest to industry, especially if that replaces human capital that could be faulty and not so reliable because we're a little imperfect and we can make these perfectly executed tasks and machines. Now, on the surface level, I don't have a problem with this at all. Listen, man, I, you know, I don't mind if I, uh, I've got, I've got a tradition, I've got a tra- tradition at the end of every time I run a Spartan race, I get, I get a Wendy's frosty, a large chocolate oh, frosty on the way so back. Good. God, I've had, I've day. had one. I've had a few with Dave. <sighs> Golly day, right? It's a, it's a treat, you know, it's a, it's a hard physical exertion. And then I go and I get my, get my frosty and it's the only time I get it. It's only after races. So, uh, it's the only time I really get fast food. And if I were to go in the drive-thru or if I were to go inside and hobble my way in and wash my hands and hit the restroom and come back out and order my Frosty on the way home after a race and I don't interact with a human being there and I interact with some sort of computer or intelligence that takes my order and pours me my Frosty and gives me my item and I go on my merry way, that's fucking fine. That's great. I don't view that as a threat. To society, I don't view that as a threat to anything else. Now, on if the computer takes my order and a human gives me my frosty, or vice versa, or if it's all humans, it's totally good. You know, I don't see that in any issue, way, shape, or form being a problem. You know, uh, as it extrapolates upwards and as it gets into more things beyond fast food delivery, uh, into more heavy real life situations, then it can become more uh, troublesome there's that slippery slope again there's that slippery slope and again this isn't the first time in human history where new technology was perceived as a threat to humankind lot this has happened before it's happened especially in the industrial revolution you know it happened in the farming industry it's happened a lot of different places where, you know, people see this new tech and it's and it's scary cuz Ameri- you know, cuz jobs are going to be, you know, lost and and that could have an impact on people's well-being. Like this is, you know, but this isn't the first time that this has ever happened. So, but but it is a slippery slope. Um let's see if there are some other ways that technology is going to be here to to help out. <laughs> Time to check the pulse and uh-oh, Rhiannon. We begin with some TV debuts making us nervous about our job security. That's because their new anchors are powered by artificial intelligence. First, there's Santa, who's anchoring daily news updates on India today. Her boss calls her tireless <laughs> and ageless. She started by doing the weather. 
Thank you for that. It's really good to have the sun back. I don't really like the cold or rain, but that's the national capital. Joining the ranks of AI anchors is Feta from Kuwaiti News. She's updating the news on Twitter. Better watch out, serious fun. The AI is coming for us. You could tell that was an AI voice. Was that something that you'd want to listen to? No. Not really. Not right now. But not right now. Yeah. Not right now. Uh, again, this is all news deconstruction. I just wanted to highlight a couple of different ways that we're talking about it. But most of it is mostly innocuous things or things that you would want to consider, you know, improved health care. There's AIs coming for more jobs. I spoke with HR professional Ira Wolf for his take on available jobs in the AI industry. Industries such as finance and banking, uh, a lot of the tech people are moving over to those roles outside of the tech companies per se, but into to banking and insurance. As you might expect, the information sector dominated, but the sectors using AI are quite diverse. Other fields with top percentages included manufacturing, agriculture, forestry, fishing, and hunting. And some surprising ones, uh, agriculture, fishing, uh, and hunting, uh, about 1.6% of jobs. Education was 1.5%, management. Looking at location, uh, California posted the most AI-related jobs with over 140,000, followed by Texas and New York. So a, a lot of the people from tech, although they may be leaving the, you know, again, the Apples, Googles, uh, Metas of the world, uh, certainly have a lot of other, other opportunities that are out there. Opportunities that will hopefully increase as AI technology continues to develop. I have my microphone off there. Uh, what I hope to highlight there is that there are several sectors that are, uh, you could say, under threat for AI coming and taking their jobs. Right now, it's like, oh, it's one and one and a half percent of jobs are taken by AI in this industry and in that industry. But as you might imagine, those numbers are going to continue to swell. And what that's going to do is that it's in the short run, it is going to put a lot of people in the street. It's going to displace some folks, but it's also going to drive innovation and creativity, which is uh, precisely. Let me make sure. Yeah, this is precisely why you need this. This morning, what looks like a sci-fi film will soon be reality on the streets of New York. The NYPD and mayor welcoming Digidog and K5, the city's new crime-fighting robots. I've never oh, seen something dude. like that in real life. The robot dogs were dismissed by the oh. previous administration. Fuck these things, man. <laughs> Fuck these things. <laughs> this, this is, it all turned for the worse and just... 20 seconds there. All right, all right. I was fine with everything. And now, now that you've now been I'm triggered, it'll be hard for you to pay attention to some of the nuance, but listen to some of the key details, especially around the name of said, of said uh, of tech. On the streets of New York, the NYPD and mayor welcoming Digidog and K5, the city's new crime-fighting robots. I've never seen something like that in real life. The robot dogs were dismissed by the previous administration due to financial cutbacks and fears of aggressive policing. I am going to use technology with transparency to keep this city safe and others just don't weren't willing to do that and i am to allay fears the public is being assured the robots won't be used for routine patrol this is a life yet 
given device. It's going to be used for hostage situations, bomb threats, counterterrorism situations. The department also plans to add this R2-D2-looking robot named K5, equipped with cameras and emergency help buttons, and the Star Chase system. Deployed from a gun-looking device, it sticks to vehicles and uses GPS to track fleeing cars. New York isn't the only city interested in robots to fight crime. San Francisco may revisit the idea after it was put on hold last year. The proposal was to use lethally armed robots when dealing with violent suspects. Supporters say they're safer than humans. But the public still has concerns about control and about artificial intelligence getting too powerful. And then there's this. Oh, look at the dog. He's not ready for the New York City streets. As for the price tag, the NYPD bought those two robot dogs for $750,000. Now, the sticker shock may may catch you there. They said $750,000 for both of them. It's also like the annual salary of four, one police commissioner. Yeah, f- yeah, or four or five or, regular police officers. Nailed there, it. So it's really not a, that big of a deal. Economies of scale, it's going to be actually cheaper. <clears throat> And it's going to be safe and effective. So so the name of the robot was K5. Mm-hmm. K5. Digidog. Digidog. I, I believe there's a, a better description that I want to focus on for what K5 is. Let me try to find it. Sticks to vehicles and uses GPS to track fleeing cars. New York isn't the only city interested in robots to fight crime. San Francisco may revisit the idea after it was put on hold last year. It was before this? Yeah. Okay, so you you said it was what, Dave? R2-D2 looking thing. All right, it's an R2-D2 looking thing named K5. Now we're half... Artistically, I'm reserving the right to be able to format this show however I want. Instead of having to have everything in the serious side and then then only fun stuff in the fun side, I'm going to throw a little curveball in. We're going to have some fun along the way. Whoa. I know. Can you believe it? This is from... This is, we're back to parody or nah. Welcome okay. back. Yep, yep. We're back here. for parody or nah. This is from a movie called Blank Man. Have you ever seen Blank Man? It is a black superhero movie. Okay. Starring uh, Damon Wayans. Great. As Blank Man, who's a nerdy black scientist who then decides he's going to go out and fight crime. Okay, I'm going to play this clip, which is the very end, towards the very end. It's the peak drama for Blank Man. Spoiler alert. Oh no, J5 is down. J5! Is this a... 
cult classic in the in the African American communities? I would say so. Is it? I mean, the Wayans brothers are huge. I mean, they did they did that uh, the basketball the basketball ones, right? Uh, you talking about? Well, they did. Uh, they did the twins. They did white girls. White girls, yes. They did yes, white girls. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. So those are uh, the twins are. Uh, 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 shit. Sean and Marlon, I believe. Mm. I believe it's Sean and Marlon Wayans are twin brothers. There's Damon. Damon has Damon Jr., who's been in shows like New Girl. I mean, they are a, as far as, you know, black culture is concerned, I mean, they are one of the founding families of black entertainment. Because every one of the Wayans brothers is is an actor, a comedian, all of these things. J5. So if you were to go and look up J5, how do they describe K5? Yeah, R2-D2 looking motherfucker. This fucking dude in the show is a R2-D2 looking trash can robot that goes and absorbs a explosive yep. and and saves everybody. And I'm not even kidding you. They they are now made, and it's in a city just like New York. Yep. And now they're literally making K-5s that are real-life parodies of a movie that came out, a black comedic superhero movie that came out in the 90s. And they're like, this is the best shit ever. I'm sure it's going to go super well. I'm sure it's going to go super well. Uh, or or they're going to take some of that level of control and they're going to try to go beyond just the the J-5, K-5s and the... And the Digi Dogs, it might end up looking a little bit more like this. But remember, this is so exciting. Hello, everybody. I'm Nicholas Thompson. I'm the CEO of The Atlantic, and I will be your moderator today. We are going to have an incredible session. Star of the show is Nita Farahani. She's a futurist and legal ethicist at Duke. And she's so smart and so interesting. So smart. This is how oh, this guy. So we're going to watch smart. Short She's going to come on stage and talk, and then we're going to do a little Q&A, questions from the audience, and that'll be a wrap, and you'll leave enlightened and excited. So, first off, a video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, and find love. Let's roll. Let's roll. It's going to make you see this awesome, incredible future that involves K-5s and Digi-Dogs and a lot more yeah, the type Boston of surveillance. Yeah, the fucking looking motherfuckers. Well, let's keep, uh, let's keep rolling. It's about two minutes here. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished. Your inbox is under control. And you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. You glance at the program running in the background on your computer screen and notice a now familiar sight that appears whenever you're overloaded with pleasure. Your state of brainwave activity decreasing in the temporal regions of your brain. You mentally move the cursor to the left and scroll through your brain data over the past few hours. You can see your stress levels rising as the deadline to finish your memo approached, causing a peak in your beta brainwave activity right before an alert popped up, telling you to take a brain break. But what's that unusual change in your brain activity when you're asleep? It started earlier in the month. You send a text message to your doctor with a mental swipe of your cursor, 
Could you take a quick look at my brain data? Anything to worry about? Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home, jamming to the music, with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. What are we talking about? Yikes. It's no way, man. So, describe the tone of her voice when she described that last segment specifically. It's like a hopeful and condescending and, like, gotcha with some real bitch. Let's, let's go for it again. Energy. We have data from the past year. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. Oh, jeez, this is so great. Remember, she's so smart. We're so going to learn smart. a lot. We're gonna, And this is the exciting future that we can look forward to. Look at me. Positive for Howard Marks. I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Dubin. It was take place today, April 22nd. It's 0800 hours, four minutes. No. Thus far, what I'd, I'd like to highlight is that if I haven't done... I don't know if I've done a great job yet getting to the point. When I come when I'm looking at this news deconstruction or I'm listening to it, when it has to do with how it will impact governance, it's fear. That's the that's the main like we need to be worried about this because it may impact our ability to govern. But whenever they do a story about how it's going to impact the people, everything's just like the future. It's going to be so great. I don't I don't think it's going to be I I just I I can't help but notice the distinguishable difference in tone when it comes to how this is presented in the marketplace of the news when it comes to governance shocker when it comes to shocker but when it comes to how it's going to impact the governance or you could also call them the elites, you could, when it comes to how it's going to impact them, we need to be worried. But when it comes to how it's going to impact us, there's nothing to worry about. It's all going to be great. Fortunately, we do have some elites or representatives that at least on the surface are speaking out against a lot of these texts, quote unquote, solutions this is Alex Antic. He is a representative. I believe Australia has a parliament. I'm not 100% sure on that, but since they're a commonwealth, 
of the Brits. I imagine they use the parliamentary system. And so here's Alex Antic speaking out about SMART and the future. Mr. Acting Deputy President, Australian cities are becoming digital surveillance precincts with so-called smart city programs being rolled out across the country. Invasive technologies such as facial recognition cameras, license plate readers, smart lights, smart poles, smart cars, smart neighbourhoods, smart homes and smart appliances all connected to wireless networks and communicating with each other. So what's wrong with that? Technology is good, isn't it? All this is for your safety, security and convenience, isn't it? Well, let me tell you, your streets are spying on you, your mobile phone is spying on you, your cities are spying on you, and the infrastructure for future lockdowns is being put into place right now. Don't be fooled. You're being set up to be tracked through your movements and through the future of your digital wallets. By handing over your data, you're handing over the ability to monitor your behaviour, which will soon be turned into a social credit score. And once the central bank digital currencies are in place, you won't get to spend your money without approval. Digital ID will soon become a reality in Australia. Many other countries are already rolling these systems out, countries like Canada, Scotland and many others. Eventually, you won't be able to access any government or public services and you won't be able to travel across borders or access healthcare or the internet without a digital ID. Think you won't comply? I think you will. The last two years were the dress rehearsal and we fell for it hook, line and sinker. Australians are sleepwalking into this technocratic future. Yeah. Strong words by Alex Antic there. He's not, not mincing his words one bit. That's scary. So again... It's important to conceptualize or at least consider it first that the reason that it's being presented in the way that it's being presented, you know, you could look at that at face value and go, what? They're making a case that it's not so good and they're making a case that it is so good. But if you go choose to go one layer past that, who's it not good for and who is it good for? in the mainstream, it is not good for the governance. We need to make sure that somebody, i.e. the government, has control over this. Otherwise, it's going to be dangerous. But don't worry. As long as you take it with the companies that are out there giving it, everything's going to be fine. But behind the scenes, it's being used for robot police, and it's being used to more closely... and restrict movements and purchases and otherwise. Keep in mind this is not a a future. This no, is This is not a conspiracy either, y'all. It's not a cons- it's a, it, it is a conspiracy in the real well, sense. It's a conspiracy in the, the There are people conspiring to make people conspiring to do nefarious things. Right. It's not a hypothesis. Correct. It is a real theory. It is a real thing that is actually happening right now. This is F24 news. It is time for our Tech 24 segment, and for that, I'm joined by Peter O'Brien, like every week. Hello there. Um, Hello so there. We're Let's going just to like back, back that up just a second. Let's just, oh my God. I gotta like get... every week. <laughs> Hello there. Hello. Oh, they love to present it in a way that's bubbly. That's how you get the mind control in there, is that it has to have this bubbly exterior. The, the real uh, the real mind control experts know to put a bubbly person out front. That way you're like, oh, it's soft and I, I'm, I'm, I feel safe and I'm more likely to receive the message. 
It is time for our Tech 24 segment, and for that, I'm joined by Peter O'Brien, like every week. Hello there. Um, so we're going to come back here to France. Uh, the pension reform and the anger over that, that wasn't the only controversy here in Parliament this week. Uh, so um, tell us more about what else went down that has people upset. Well, this has slipped <laughs> under the radar a little bit in the international press, but it was a big change in terms of uh, surveillance law in France that got passed in French Parliament this week, even though not many MPs uh, actually turned up to, to, to vote in the end on this bill. But yesterday, uh, a bill was passed, which essentially means that algorithmic video surveillance, so that's AI-empowered uh, uh, use of cameras to survey uh, crowds and events, sports events, that's now been provided a legal framework in France and has essentially been uh, legalised. Now, this will allow official computers to recognise and signal risks and disturbances in public spaces, things that perhaps human observers wouldn't pick up on. It's part of a special package of laws for the Olympics and Paralympics Special. next year. And as such, this video surveillance part, well, it's slated to only be in effect until June 2025. But you will know that notes that that's almost a year after uh, the end of the Olympics. And the idea is for the government to be able to keep millions of people who will flock to the French capital safe. Um, but many privacy activists are obviously concerned that this might be a precursor to a new status quo of AI enhanced uh, surveillance. So in France, they've, pa they've passed some special packages, some special law packages in preparation for what, David? The Olympics. The Olympics. And it's presented, hey, we need to go ahead and do this because we're going to have this big event. There's going to be people coming from all over the world, which means, hey, this is unsafe. It's unsafe to have a bunch of all these randos coming in from all over the world. You never know what could happen. So you know what we need to keep you safe, ladies and gentlemen, is we need more control. You got to give us the control. Why? Why do you have to give us the control, Dave? Oh, man, I think it's... They can't resist that. They can't resist that, dude. They can't resist getting more control. They just can't do it. They want it. They need it. And they'll use things like the Olympics to propagate these ideas. My hypothesis, not theory, my hypothesis that it is actually international bodies like the Olympics that are being used to spur a lot of these mechanisms in mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. You know, a quote-unquote conspiracy theory is that there are uh, non-national, international like uh, uh, organizations and bodies that are directing the national sovereignty and laws of countries. And people go, what? No way that's happening. Yet, an international, like non-national, hugely influential body called the Olympics is the reason that France, a national sovereign country, is choosing to add this special group of legislative packages for control. It isn't happening in the future. It's happening now. And they're practicing the program in other places ahead of schedule. Places like Australia, places like Canada, and places like this.
Uh, yeah, in China, we're seeing a lot of movement on this front because a new artificial China. intelligence model has China. now been released by Alibaba, no less. Uh, justice authorities in Beijing are looking to impose their own rules on this sector. Now, Alibaba has released a generative artificial intelligence platform designed to rival the Microsoft-backed ChatGPT. Google and Chinese tech giant Baidu are among those to have already unveiled similar platforms. Now, Alibaba says its version will be integrated into its own apps in the near future. The chatbot is called Tonggui Tianwen, which means truth from a thousand questions. It's said to be able to draft letters or trip itineraries, advise shoppers on what cosmetics to buy, and even summarize meeting notes. But it's unlikely to have free reign because China's Cyberspace Security Administration published its own guidelines for artificial intelligence, saying that a security assessment will be required before they're allowed to go live. Chatbots in China will have to, quote, reflect the core values of socialism and not subvert state power. Developers will also have to ensure the technology doesn't discriminate based on ethnicity, race or gender, and that it doesn't generate false information. Now, we don't know how those draft rules might actually be implemented, but governments and business leaders around the world are paying close attention to this fast developing sector. Italy has banned chat GPT altogether, and figures within the tech industry, including Elon Musk, have warned that things could spin out of control if the technology is rolled out too quickly. And we are totally going to talk about that, but I think we just need a quick little smoke break. Can we get a little smoke break up in here? Please, let's do it. We have, I'll, get, I'll put you on mute there. We have some of uh, Dave Robinson's homegrown backyard cannabis. We Buddy. have, we have Starflow. Got yeah. the, whatever you gave us last time. Sour Diesel. Sour Diesel. Got some mix of the 
uh, Primal Fusion Breathe Herbs and some Primal Fusion Focus Herbs. That's Dialing what we're in. Dialing in. So going back to that last clip, a couple of things that were mentioned there. China. China. And they were making sure that it didn't discriminate based on age, ethnicity. Yeah, tell that to the Uyghurs. And somebody else. Yeah, tell that to the Uyghurs. One category they didn't mention was status. So uh, the old the old caste class systems coming coming back. Sure doesn't matter and and that's what I hope to that's what I'm also showing here is that it don't worry they they said it's going to be used fairly and, and it won't be used to discriminate among race uh, uh socioeconomic or they didn't say socioeconomic class but I have a feeling it's going to be you know there's going to be a way to buy yourself out of this system and it ain't going to be for the common people. But another thing that they mentioned is that, hey, there's some, like, concern around this. And so there are, you know, here's a, I want to put together a cluster of news to deconstruct as well. Um, but what did I say last time? The way it's presented, it's either going to be present, when it's presented, uh, like it's, a f- like, with fear and scare tactics, be mindful. And when it's presented as this, like, unbelievable utopia, be mindful. Mind your own business here. Really think about what they're saying as opposed to how it's being packaged and presented. Um, but this little bit is called the AI freakout. There was a recent freakout with the uh, in the AI community here, and we're gonna we're gonna deconstruct it. Stop training artificial intelligence, at least temporarily. That's what over a thousand very notable individuals want. They are AI researchers, CEOs, and tech leaders like Elon Musk and Steve Wozniak. They signed an open letter. It states that AI could profoundly change the history of life on Earth. The letter said we should plan for these changes, but unfortunately, we're not right now. Instead, it says we're in an all-out-of-control race to develop systems that no one can understand, predict, or control. Ooh, scary. Next clip. Next clip. So they want everyone to immediately pause training for all systems more powerful than GPT-4 for at least six months. They want the pause to be both public and verifiable. Not just that, they even want world governments to potentially step in and implement a moratorium. We talked to someone who signed the letter, AI researcher Alexander DeRitter, also a frequent NTD contributor. DeRitter says a six-month pause is necessary. It doesn't stifle AI research as a whole, and it gives the government time to work closely with regulators. AI is a very complex topic. DeRitter says that the pause would only work if every country commits to it. Because if some pauses and some don't, the countries that don't will have an unfair advantage in the AI race. So what are the pros and cons for a six-month pause? We get some experts to weigh in. The executive director of Harvard in Tech, Krisha Lenzo, says AI is like a train on the loose with no guardrails. She supports the letter. AI has tremendous capabilities and it could cause a lot of problems for people, whether it's cybersecurity issues, phishing scams, or even disinformation. We really need to get a hold of what is going on when it comes to open source AI, specifically ChatGPT, which is a huge problem. ChatGPT is a huge problem, according to that. Now, my question is, a big problem for whom? 
to whom? Well, I imagine it's whoever called for this six-month hiatus. And apparently there's a group of people that have called for this six-month hiatus. Um, let's, let's keep rolling through these. On the other side of the argument, a six-month pause could stall progress. We talked to expert Adnan Masood. He's the chief AI architect, architect at UST. He has a PhD in machine learning, and he's Microsoft's MVP in AI. AI landscape is highly competitive, and research and organizations from around the world are creating more and more advanced systems. And there is an inevitability of progress, right? Technological advancements are inev- inevitable. They are attempting to halt progress. will only you know, delay the issues at hand. But you want to empower the AI researchers and organizations who are already considered uh, deeply concerned about the ethical implications and the potential risk of these advanced AI systems. Now, Dave, I'm going to give our listeners a little bit of inside baseball on news. When you're creating news and you're trying to find a reference to anchor in the point that you're hoping to get across in your news story, you're going to be very selective about who you pick. Now, even though it would be a faux pas to say this in the general community, in news, they're really good at finding the right people. And there's a couple of things about this guy that may enhance the effect of the message that they're trying to get across. They could have asked anybody in the world, and they asked a guy from roughly where? India, Pakistan, Bangladesh. What does that imply? That he's good with technology. And that he's an expert. Expert, yeah. He also has a PhD in machine learning. Great. There's a lot of people out there with PhDs in machine learning. There's a reason that they chose that guy's voice. It's to play on your uh, uh, what stereotypes, to play into that subconscious that you already have. And then they not only picked a PhD with a, uh, a particular accent that we associate with smartness in, in technology. Listen very closely to what he says with his words advanced systems and there is an inevitability of progress right technological advancements are inevitable what word inevitable hey y'all listen why stop the train this is we're on this is an inevitability and you heard it here from an expert now i i find this very suspect That is how this is being talked about, is that, hey, we need to be really worried about this, and at the same time, it's a what, Dave? Inevitability. Inevitability. So, on the one hand, the experts are saying we need to be worried, and on the other hand, the experts are saying it's an inevitability. It's kind of, but some experts are saying, hey, we we need to pause, and some experts are saying, hey, we need to keep going. Let's, let's wrap this little AI freak out segment. We also got the founder of Eugene AI, Sudeep Roy Chowdhury, to weigh in. His AI firm helps manufacturers with their operations. Chowdhury says a six-month pause is not fair and that people should be free to develop the technology without government intervention. What would we achieve by not making progress in six months in this technology? That I'm not sure. What we can achieve by parallelly working towards framework for governing AI-based technology, that part I agree with, and I should work uh, on that as a community. 
And not surprisingly, not a single person from OpenAI has signed the letter. OpenAI's leading firm in generative AI was mentioned explicitly in the letter we reached out to OpenAI. So on the one hand, uh, I, I have mixed feelings about this. One, I think this is actually a power struggle. I think this is the reason that this whole like AI freakout is happening is that some people are winning and some people are losing. And the losing parties are desiring to hold so they can catch up. But there's this whole thing that's not being talked about yet with AI, which is it's really expensive to operate. It is hugely expensive. And so all of these things are taking place at the same time. So if, if there's one thing that whole group can agree on is that it's an inevitability, but there seems to be some infighting about whether or not the, the program is on schedule. Hey, we don't know if we're going to be able to govern this. So that's one interested party is that governments need or desire to have some influence over this. But there's also big companies that are led by very famous people who are considered some of the smartest people in the world that have a differing opinion on AI and they're speaking out to it now, but I'm questioning why they're speaking out about it in the way that they are. So I'm going to play this one and I think it gives us a little insight. In the future, the world may be filled with hostile AI systems. This is according to a paper by the Center for AI Safety. Its director, Dan Hendricks, says even if some developers build altruistic AIs, there will still be those who build less altruistic AIs. Hendricks says the less altruistic ones will outcompete the altruistic ones. Now, think about this. In the business world, a lot of corporations that put profit above everything else could use AI wrongfully. They could have AI systems help make profit in ways that may or may not be legal. Hendricks believes less moral AI systems will perform better and may therefore in the future fill the world. Worse yet, he believes they could even make CEO-level decisions without any oversight. Dan Hendricks has a PhD in AI from UC Berkeley. He developed a key part of the deep learning model, and he's been researching AI for the past seven years. So we asked Hendricks why he thinks this is. He told us that the current AI race is reckless. The current AI arms race, is it prioritizing safety? They're largely prioritizing just making the most powerful products as possible and trying to position themselves to automate as many jobs as possible. Safety is a secondary consideration. So without the public raising their voice about these sorts of concerns, uh, I find it or I find it so unlikely that they're going to stop by their own devices. Hendricks says companies are locked in a survival of the fittest environment. The ones who play it safe when it comes to AI will lose the race. Key point there at the end. The ones who play it safe will lose the race. The ones that play it safe will lose the race. There is another professor. Uh, his name is Max uh, Tegmark. He is a professor for MIT and he is a quote-unquote AI expert. And I believe what he called it is a suicide race. So I'm going to let him speak for himself here as we're kind of meandering around. But trust me, we're going we're gonna to pull this up, and it's going to be very, very tight by the end. 
This is not science fiction. Intelligence is not something mysterious that can only exist in human brains. It's something we can also build. We were basically building these alien minds that are much smarter than us, who we're going to have to share the planet with, right? And the pessimism is because basically everybody... Right? We're going to have to. As if it's a what? What was that I word again, Dave? Inevitability. See, everybody keeps talking about it like it's inevitable. But it's not. We we have the opportunity to change courses if we wanted to, but still we're not. Um but let's get back to let's get back to Professor Tegmol. Joining me now who's driving the race towards this cliff is in denial about there even being a cliff, but they can't stop. No company can pause alone because they're just going to have the lunch, their lunch eaten by the competition and get killed by their shareholders. Otherwise, there might simply not be any humans on the planet at all. This is not an arms race. It's a suicide race. Billions of dollars are pouring into artificial intelligence, but are private companies putting the world in danger in a race to create better, even so-called godlike artificial intelligence? Well, my guest today is Max Tegmark. He's a Swedish-American physicist, cosmologist, and machine learning researcher. He's a professor at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and the scientific director of the Foundational Questions Institute. Max, welcome to the show. I want to be a, begin with a general question before we really launch into the specific... Before we get to this general question, just wait for the punchline. Specifics, and I'd ask you to be as brief as possible with your answer, as much as you can. And that question is, are a handful of companies leading us down a dangerous path? Yes. <laughs> he said, be brief. We're heading down a dangerous path, both the public and, but it's inevitable. So even though we're heading to every, there's people that are warning, hey, we're heading down a really terrible path. We seem to just keep trodding along into this suicide race. Uh, what do you know about ants, Dave? More than the average American, possibly. All right. Tell me what you know about ants. Well, what do you want to know about ants? Well, I want to know about ants. Uh, would ants... Ants are part of a... Do they share a hive mind or like bees? Are they like bees? Do they kind of have yeah, like a hive colony. mind? Yeah. So they got like the colony mindset. Mm-hmm. And and they all they know is that they're there to create this thing. You see? Mm-hmm. They're just like... It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're going to create it because, like, they just live as if it's already inevitability that this is going to be created. And it doesn't matter how many ants or how many bees, worker bees, are lost along the way as long as the colony and hive gets built. You got to live. Well, uh, if there were to be some level of mind control going on and people weren't aware of it, they weren't sovereign, they could fall into the colony or uh, uh, mass mentality mass mentality just doing the job doing the role just doing just doing my job so even though it's not in the financial best interest of any of these companies and even though it doesn't seem to be in the uh, best interest of government or any we're just trotting along one company that's tried to go all in on this early was meta that's why they changed their name to Meta. They were moving towards this metaverse, metaverse, which happens in the artificial, virtual space. Um, let's see how that's going for them. What are they up to? 
Facebook parent company Meta released a new artificial intelligence model today. It's called the Segment Anything Model, or SAM. It can pick out objects and outline them in images and videos. It can also pick out items outside of its training. Objects can be selected by clicking on them or writing a text prompt. In one demonstration, writing the word cat prompted the tool to draw boxes around each of several cats in a photo. Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg has said that incorporating generative AI is a priority for the company this year. Ooh, it can recognize cats, David. Let's give them a hand. Oh, my God. Nice job, Zach. Great job. You're spending all this money, and what you got for it is you got something that can recognize cats. They're digging a hole for themselves. Joining me now is Jake May- Joining me now is Jake Maymar, VP of Innovation, the Glimpse Group. Now, this new meta AI model, it can identify objects uh, in an image. What is the significance here? Well, the, the biggest value is you can search any image, uh, any video, uh, any sort of spatial place. Um, and the reason why that's valuable is just imagine, you know, you're, you're just like looking at an image and of course you can see cats and you're like, okay, well, how is that valuable? Because uh, uh, I do um, XR, I do uh, VR and AR uh, enterprise solutions. Um, the reason why this is so valuable to me is if I have a headset and I'm looking around, it will automatically know what those objects are. So it will know that's a phone. It will know that's a computer. It will know that's a chair. And because it knows that, there's all these sort of rules that will automatically be associated with it. Um, so if it's a donut, I know I can eat it. Uh, if it's a phone, it will ha- actually have data on it. And if it's my phone, it will actually have my data on it. So there's all these ways that it's going to be basically creating a very frictionless experience where you're going to be um, interacting with the virtual world in a very intuitive way. I see. I wonder if this is just the beginning. I I wonder if this will develop into something even further. Maybe you can comment on that. Oh, absolutely. I, I think this is just the beginning. I think that Um, This is the early building blocks of where this language model is going to go. Right now, they're talking about images and video, but really, I think that the the real use case is is spatial. And if you can identify objects in space, uh, both, both with AR, so in physical space, and then also in virtual space, you can assign value to those objects. Doesn't that sound, didn't he make that sound so innovative and awesome? But but again, just access based on the fucking items in our room. Hey, where'd you get that bag? So he exactly. Well, that's that's definitely on the list. Definitely on the list. But if the whole prospect is that this is going to make the world better somehow, or that this, this is somehow better, like as if the average human can't do all of these things already. Like, ooh, the AI is so smart. Let's let's listen here how smart the AI is, David. Those objects are. So it will know that's a phone. It will know that's a computer. It will know that's a chair. And- I'm sure you couldn't figure that out for yourself, David. Yeah. You can't it, will, fig- it will know that's my phone. Oh, okay, great. wait, wait. Because it knows that, there's all these sort of rules that will automatically be associated with it. Um, so if it's a donut, I know I can eat it. Wow. Congratulate! Wow, wow, 
See, the problem with these smart motherfuckers is that they're oftentimes smart, dumb motherfuckers, and they don't realize how stupid they sound when they're like, this is going to be way better. We're going to give you the opportunity to do exactly what you can already do. It's a donut. You know you can eat it. We just want you to do it in our space so we can do what Dave said, which is use it to do dragon tax. Just being able to pick up that uh, bag that's over there, that this that's over there, and you can you can shop and be a good little human consumer. Uh, I'm going to skip more of this Meta stuff, but Meta is spending an insane amount of money on this, and it might be the end of them. This isn't the first time in the tech industry where a new thing has swept over, and you know companies that were institutional just got got passed. And so I think, personally, companies like Meta are wanting to slow this process down because they're losing hand over fist to the west to the eastern companies possibly in india or china in the global marketplace and they're just losing their ass china china and so i mean these are these are just thoughts that i'm i'm piecing together but let's go back to professor max tegmont and we're coming up on the uh coming up on the producer break here hey now almost there how much of a breakthrough are these new generative ai models like chat gbt it's uh, what looks like a breakthrough in the media is really a quite steady progress on work on AI. It's been happening for a long time. You know, in the, in the 60s, the, the term artificial intelligence was coined by an MIT professor. And uh, <clears throat> for a long time, the people realized, man, this is much harder than we thought. And uh, gradually, the list of things, though, that, that humans can do, the machines cannot, has gotten shorter and shorter. And uh, one of the holy grails Alan Turing famously called the Turing test is being able to talk like a human, really master language. And that's the big breakthrough we've seen now manifested in, in GPT-4 and, and tools like this. Master language. The talk test. Yes. Now, it could be just English isn't his first language. He said the Turing test is when a computer could talk like a human, mm -hmm. but that's not exactly accurate. The Turing test was a test to see that if a human being were to be engaging with the computer, that the human wouldn't be able to recognize that it was a computer. It's not exactly the same thing, okay? Because just because a computer can spit out language that look that that is a uh, human like can talk like a human the real turing test is humans inability to recognize whether or not it's a computer and we're as we heard in that replacement uh broadcaster that they had miss feta from india or whatever do you remember her mm -hmm. did could i mean i could immediately tell that that was not a real person yeah they're getting good though they're getting better, but the assumption is that it will pass the human's ability to recognize it, and that also isn't a fact. We haven't actually tested whether or not human brains can evolve at that speed. We just assume that they can't. There are some people that believe that our brains will be able to evolve as quickly in being able to recognize that it is, in fact, a computer, that we may never actually like pass the Turing test. Okay, uh, so that's, but they're still speaking about it like it already exists or it's an inevitability. There's, although we are going to land on a final point here, I've laid out like a, a, a tapestry of points. It's that the way that it's presented in the news is that if it is, 
a danger, it's only a danger to the power structures. It's never a danger to the people. And if it's presented as a, as a pro, it's always beneficial to the people and in no way uh, uh, is it going to be bad for you. There's nothing to be skeptical about when it comes to how you engage with the, the experience. We only got to be worried about the people of influence and how they're going to be impacted by all of this. And so the question I will pose before we go to the commercial break is back to Mr. Mark Passio. People will wonder... Why are we losing freedom? Why is freedom on the wane? Why is totalitarianism and tyranny rising up? Why do we see so much control and obsession with control in our society? You know, they'll see that. Many of them will see the rising police state. They'll see the injustices in our society. They'll see the restrictions on our, our inherent natural liberty. Okay? But here's the thing, many of them will not make the transition to grasping, you know? They'll say, yeah, this is what's happening to the earth. It's being turned into a huge prison everywhere. And at the most rapid pace right here in America, okay? And they'll see this lock going onto the cage, but the question that they never get to, they don't even get to the question, let alone the answer, is why? They'll talk about the symptoms. They'll describe the prison. They'll describe every corner of the cage accurately in many cases. They can tell you exactly how it's working. They can tell you all the different aspects of the control system. But they can't tell you why it's actually going into place. Why is that happening? And that's what we're going to talk about after the producer break. But first, Dave, I would like to thank you for your courage. Thank you. Great job staying in the pocket with me so far. And as we enter the producer segment, there's one thing you need to keep in mind about this podcast. It doesn't care whether you don't know. It doesn't care whether you're nescient or ignorant. It's in effect. It's binding. And it is immutable. Yes, sir. Producer segment. We bouncing. This is Moon Time Bounce. Today, David, we have multiple Stop. treasure booty. Oh my God, we got booty. producers. Wow. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Incredible. We'll find out. Let's hear it. All right. I'm already excited. Let's do it. What we're gonna do is I'm gonna pull. I'm going to pull up our, going to make sure this thing can, can recognize me, and I'm going to go first, starting with Mr. Neil Gordon, coming in at $21.78. Neil! Let's go! Coming in at $21.78, and he says, I set aside, oh my God, what the heck? I just got an advertisement from PayPal <laughs> right in the middle of this show. Can you uh, believe it? PayPal's not paying us a dime. Fuck Skip these guys. this guy. Oh, my gosh. Boo. Oh, maybe it's not. It's just saying congratulations that you got money. That's the sound effect oh, that it gave okay. me because we got money. Holy crap. 
Uh, he said, I set aside. Uh, well, let me go back to it because it's like, PayPal? Why are you doing this to me, bro? Well, Neil, he said that he sets aside money. I can't read the exact note. It shows me this story that gives me this dang. Let's see if it does it again. My God. It does. Let, let, it, let it rip. All right, that was pretty fun. Uh, but it still won't show me the whole damn message, what which is part of what pisses me off. But he says he sets aside a bit of money in his budget every month for tuition, for things that are educational. And he decided that our show deserved that budget for his education tuition. Neil, that, thank you. That right there is value for value in action, ladies and gentlemen. Thank, thank you, Neil. Neil. We appreciate it. You have become come in as an assistant executive producer of this show, and we are just thrilled about it. Ledge. Next up, for a donation of a whole $10 with a note of sending love and support for serious fun, Captain Seven Steves. Captain Seven Steve, the legend himself. Captain Seven Steves of the Seven Seas. Oh, my God, Dave. We have another live donation right here, right now. Are you serious? Right here, right now. What is going on? What is going on? What happened? Tell me about it, Bob. Coming in as the executive producer level $25 from Mr. Davis Atterbury. Davis, man. my guy. Let's go. Let's go. What? As it's happening, man. Value for value in action, ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and as and you gentlemen, can tell, we are thrilled. We are excited. Brooks is buying ice cream tonight. I'm buying ice cream <laughs> tonight for our dude Nate Dogs. No doubt. His birthday. birthday yep, his 35th yep, birthday. Yep. And it's the least value I could provide because Nate has provided All Good by Paris Robinson as the opener, the theme song of this show. He's given me Moon Time Bounce to use to this, which is what we use for the producer introduction. And we have value for value in action. Man. We have had three booty donuts. I could have spaced them out, but who knows? Maybe we'll just keep the rhythm Dude, going. Let's keep One week we get them, going. let's keep that booty segment long. Love we it. like it fat. Love it. God, I love Thank a fat booty section. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, guys, for your treasure. It is deeply appreciated. And so if you are listening to this show, we operate under the value-for-value value model. Dave, the reason that we do that is because we're talking about some things that we think are very real and are very important, and they may not be very popular. So by taking sponsorships... I then engage in a type of relationship where that sponsor may decide they don't like what I'm saying so much and they like to use those dollars over my head, over our head. You remember the the company that came and strong-armed me, dude? We got got strong-armed by freaking Whack Arnold's, man. Whack Arnold's, man. And so that's what those sponsors do. But instead, we choose the value-for-value model, which means that our audience members are actually producers of this show. And they can help us produce this show with three different things. Tell them what it is, Dave. Time, talent, or treasure, a.k.a. the booty, ladies and gentlemen. Your time, your talent, and your treasure. And so if you want to give us your time, listen to the show, share it with others, take the extra bit of time to rate this five stars, to leave a kind comment, help us get found. That is how you can help us with your time, with your talent. Like, oh, I mean... uh, 
back to freaking Nate. He gave us the devil's lettuce. It's our smoke break song. Yep. Nate's all over this podcast. So you can, uh, Ben Walker, our buddy, made a song that we use for Bopper Flop. No doubt. We love it. He sent it. He sent it, and we deeply appreciated the amount of time and talent that he put into that to give us that opportunity to have this segment. And so if you want to potentially create a new logo for us, if you wanted to create our web page and you wanted to manage our web page, for example, that would be huge. That would be that would be talent that we would be willing to receive. And of course, like you heard from Davis Atterbury, Neil Gordon, and Captain Seven Steves, when you send us your booty, we read your name, we say thank you, and we give you a big round of applause. And thank you to the original producer, uh, uh, Mr. Sean Rivers, as well. Thank for, you. A couple weeks ago. Exactly. Yeah. Our, yeah. our founding booty participant. Founding booty participant. Coming in huge at a dollar. Baby and Bear, thank you, We've sir. said it many times, many times. If every producer of this show were to donate a dollar per show, we would love it. So if you go out and you introduce people, go out and remember, give them that five fingers face slap for me and ask them this question. Where's the five fingers? Say to the face. <laughs> exactly. Go out and give them that five finger face slap for us. We would appreciate it. Appreciate. We also have a producer who has given us a song for Bop or Flop. Okay. Are you ready, David? I'm ready. I ask you, is this a Bop or flop? Well, dramatic pause. I see the car as I choose to be a part of it. Babylon's got no love. Them think we gone, you know, you're being enchanted. Judgment default, yeah. Them still a born, kill him and you will want them. Till shy, no, till shy, no. Be confident in a good over We got a bop on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. Let's turn it back up. Don't let the system deceive you, no Rasta. Man, Rasta 
Damian Marley? It's a Marley. It's a Marley. It's a Marley. We have permission to play this track. It was given to us by our dear friend, David Slur, member of the Whalers Trio. Legend. Friends of the show. Brethren of the show. David is a member of the Whalers Trio with our last producer, Mr. Bingy Music, who gave mm-hmm. us high grade. Mm-hmm. This is Kya Kill Rasta with mm-hmm. David Slur featuring Joe Mercer Marley. Oh, Rest shit. in peace. Joe Mercer has sadly passed away. He is the son of Stephen Marley mm-hmm. and the direct living grandson. Well, unfortunately, he has passed, but he is a descendant of the legendary Bob Marley. And we have just bopped. It's a bopper. It's a clear bopper. Yeah, clear bop, man. Clear bopper. And thank you, David Slur, for providing this segment and value in the value for value model that we are using for this show. We, again, deeply, deeply appreciate it. Now, uh, I'm not going to spoil my ISOs. We're not... Uh, uh, we're going to get back to the show. We're, we're still in the show. Oh, man. All right. Let's we've done do it. the producer break. We've received time, mm. talent, and treasure. Yep. And we appreciate it. We do indeed. And again, just to remind you, this is the Serious Fun Podcast. Doesn't care whether you don't know. Doesn't care whether you're nescient or ignorant. It's in effect. It's binding. And it is immutable. So true. <laughs> and that's why we're out here to provide awareness and to provide value into all of the producers that provided value in the form of their time, their talent, and their treasure. Again, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So, back to this whole AI thing. I'm not trying to prove any particular point per se, but I am aspiring to start to deconstruct something that is very wildly popular right now and being discussed as if it were an inevitability, even though it's causing a lot of harm to a lot of companies that already exist. And so just to kind of refresh that narrative as to say, hey, we had this we had this big to-do recently where some of the quote unquote smartest people in the world said we needed to 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 go on pause. So I'm going to bring, uh, this is a guy named Douglas Murray, and he's weighing in on this whole situation. It's an extraordinary letter, I have to say. Uh, pretty much unprecedented. I mean, these are people at the absolute forefront of the technology we're talking about who are expressing deep concern. I mean, to call for a six-month moratorium, basically, on further advancements in the area suggests that they're, just, they're, they're deeply worried about this. I mean, this, this has been coming on us for 25 years now. Listen to how he describes it. So it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that the, the ability of effectively the computers to go faster than we can go on the treadmill, that the treadmill of technology is running faster than we humans can run. We've known this for a long time, but the fact that there has now been this, this stressing that, that we're, you know, we can be in trouble, they don't know what it's capable of. I mean, I mean to call for a six-month sort of 
ban on this, it, it, I, I think it's quite extraordinary. We, we've, known, we've known for about a quarter of a century now that this is coming. We've known for about a quarter of a century now that this is coming. Inevitability, the it's, age of singularity. You know what else was an inevitability, Dave? Flying cars. A pandemic, too. Uh, it actually comes from the, the 90s when Kasparov, uh, the great chess champion, was beaten now by... Now lives here in New York City. Exactly. Was, was, was beaten by the computer. And he said then, he said, he said the, in his notes, he said, the worry I have is that the computer isn't calculating, it's thinking. We are 25 years on from, from that now, and the computers are thinking. C- can you imagine uh, the internet has revolutionized our lives in so many ways. Uh, It's like the printing press in the Middle Ages. We don't know what the consequences of this are going to be, and we are currently living through an era where it's printing press after printing press is being discovered underneath us. Right, and and Douglas, it's just so important for everyone to know, these are the smartest people amongst us who are demanding a global pause, not a arbitrary senator from a state. This is is for real. And look at some of these people uh, from Steve Wozniak co-founder of Apple, to Elon Musk, uh, Andrew Yang here in New York. Thanks so much, Douglas. Uh, mm, man, this really, this really chaps my behind. I've never been so irate in my whole fucking life. This whole thing that, like, hey, don't think for yourself on this. Whatever you do, don't think for yourself on this because... Demanding a global pause, sure. not a arbitrary senator from a state. No. This is, this is for real. And look at some of these people uh, from Steve Wozniak. No, well, let me back it up just a tad bit more. After printing press is being discovered underneath us. Right. And, and Douglas, it's just so important for everyone to know, these are the smartest people amongst us who are demanding a global pause. It's the smartest among us. So they're demanding a global pause. Not a arbitrary senator from a state. It's not an arbitrary senator from a state who yes, actually somebody re- who was elected. Who literally represents the people. Yes. It's the smartest among us and we need to listen to them. Don't listen to the person that could actually represent you and create some change for you at least in your jurisdiction and certainly don't think for yourself on this. Go back to the smartest people in the world. Defer response, abdicate your responsibility is the message. And as we discussed in a previous episode, that is impossible. There you can only give it away on purpose. They're asking you, they're priming you to give away your responsibility to the oh-so-smart, the smartest among us, not some random uh, arbitrary, arbitrary is a very uh, uh, sharp word to use there. I mean, in fact, I'm going to do a live lookup on what the definition of arbitrary is arbitrary based on random choice or personal whim rather than any reason or system what a subversive word to use about a a senator random senator a a random choice who's random choice dave ours as the people rather than any reason or system it wasn't because he was elected he's just arbitrary he's just throwaway he's nobody to listen to the person who could actually help form the government to help the people no don't listen to him listen to the smartest among us let's finish the clip and we'll keep moving this is this is for real and look at some of these people another nlp nlp right this is for real this is for real but what's the opposite of real 
artificial. This is artificial. This whole idea is artificial. And they're jamming it down our throats, and I want to find out why. Sure, they may play good cop, bad cop on TV in the news. I think that is all a shell game to make it seem like, but the word that keeps coming up is inevitability. It's inevitable, it's inevitable, and it's inevitable. Now, who is right now the hottest name in tech and is considered widely, you know, regarded as one of the smartest people in the world? Elon Musk. Bing. Bang, bang, bang. Elon Musk. He's got his, he's, he's all over this. And he was one of the people that, that wrote in on that letter requesting AI to be slowed down. He was one of the founders of the companies that uses AI. That is also true. And he was one of the co-signers of the letter. Yep. He, he's mentioned by name in uh, possibly a previous clip. So I'm going to start tracking Elon Musk a little bit. Because on the surface, I, hey, listen, I read his book, his autobiography, and I was very taken with Elon for a long time. I mean, he was, you know, Tesla. Now, I know that he didn't create the technology himself, but he certainly helped scale the business and make Tesla a thing. Um, he, shit, started a, or at least bought and, and scaled a rocket company that's now sending people into the outer atmosphere, if not full-on space. He's partnered with NASA. He was he, one of our early uh, sponsors here. PayPal came in there with, <laughs> with their metal intro. Very true. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, smart. Very unequivocally an exceptionally smart individual. And I'd say he's, that. I'm going to use a particular word here. He is both clever and very cunning. Yeah. He is both clever and very cunning. And so although he does seem, he says things that seem altruistic and seem for the people, but I think that those words are very clever and cunning. And we're so we're going to do a little evaluation of Elon when he's, this is him on a interview with Zuby. Do you know Zuby? Yeah. Zuby tends music to, artist. music artist, and he has a podcast and is, uh, he tends he does some political stuff and he he does some comment some social commentary and he's got influence and he tends to fall more on the conservative side of things uh, you could say or more at least on the freedom of speech side of things so he's doing his best to represent the people in the form of his questions however I want to possibly well I'm gonna I'm going to put this in your mind which is have you ever met? someone that had like status in your world like got a meeting with them that's a that, that's a direct question to you oh yeah i mean sure okay so how did you feel going into that um probably a little nervous okay a little excited nervous yeah. excited um do you believe that they uh, that you were firmly rooted in your pure uh, authentic self and in no way influenced by their stature or their status? I mean, you'd like to think so, but also you've got some human nature of being, uh, what happens when you meet someone of that status or stature, I guess. Yeah. That's what I'm, yeah. I, so if you keep in mind that Zuby is probably having, you know, soft talk acknowledged the interview of his life, 
He's interviewing yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah. He's got 287,000 followers on Instagram, which is a lot, but it's not a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah. And he, big time. He, big time hit for Zuby is that he's interviewing Elon Musk. One, there's something called a laugh till. When people are uncomfortable or nervous, they, <laughs> they, they laugh. So keep that in mind as we examine a couple of these clips uh, when it comes to Elon's greatest concern about AI. What's your greatest concern with artificial intelligence? Because I know that you have worked with it, but also I know it's something that you personally have massive concerns about as well, which you've voiced in this podcast and elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think that actually the most likely outcome for artificial intelligence is is that it is good, that it will um, improve our lives, most likely. But there's some chance. Most likely. That it will not, and I think we just need to be cognizant of that and, and understand it's a powerful technology, it's a double-edged sword, and we need to put a lot of effort into ensuring that we have a good AI outcome and not a bad one. Mm. Okay. So that seems like a logical thing to say. Yeah, it's rather innocuous. It's very neutral. It's totally in the middle. He's just saying that's very political. He's like, yeah, I think that it'll be ultimately good, but we don't know. And because we don't know, we, you know, sure, we need to, like, do these things and keep this system in place. And it's it, it's totally in the middle. What, what does a good one look like? Great question. Mm-hmm. Not just going to let him off. What does a good one look like? Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, if, I'd recommend people read the Ian Banks books, okay. uh, the culture books. Um, that's the best uh, representation of a positive AI human future that I've seen. So he refers to Ian Banks. Ian Banks is an author. He wrote something known as the Culture Series, which is a large, pretty large, looks like uh, about eight or nine, uh, eight or nine volumes of books and the culture series is a science fiction series written by a Scottish author named Ian Banks that was released between 1987 and 2012. And so when uh, he answers the question, but I want to know if he avoids it. And so I'm going to back it up really quick. What what does a good one look like? So we asked him, what does a good one look like? Go go look at this example. Go look at this example, which again, he didn't say this is what I think it's going to happen. He just said this is a good. This is an example that you could go and read of a possible good outcome. Well, if, I'd recommend people read the Ian Banks books, okay. uh, the culture books. Um, that's the best uh, representation of a positive AI human future that I've seen. Okay. Um, so, that, that's my recommendation. I mean, it effectively AI. I think it'll, 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 it will massively enhance human ability. It's like a just a massive amplifier of human ability, um, just like the computer was. Um, so, it really, it's just a question of like, does does it? There's some risk that it doesn't merely amplify human activity, but it starts basically just being in charge. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's some risk it may. View humanity negatively and mm-hmm. decide that we're a blight on the earth. Like, like I think, like, like a very dangerous thing would be if, if the if the sort of human extinctionist philosophy somehow got into AI. That would be bad. Like mm-hmm. that guy that was yes. on the front page of the New York Times saying 
Nearly eight billion people on Earth. See, we don't want him coding it. We don't want him coding it. Yeah. Okay, he referred to, he was like, well, you know, he just kind of wishy-washy, wishy-washy. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't want that guy, like, from the New York Times, those ex- those extinctionists out there. And it turns the out they... voluntary that, human extinction movement. Voluntary human extinction, that there are people that actually believe that we should go extinct on the planet. And as long as we don't have one of those people coding, you know, then we're going to be good. But uh, I ask you... a selfish prick. Maybe you live long and die out. Yes, the, this guy. Selfish uh, fucking. I don't prick. even. I want. I'm gonna say his name. His name is Les Knight. You can go look up and mock Les Knight uh, and his desire to voluntarily create the extinction of the human species. That is directly involved to what I believe is part of the psyop. It could be considered the more extreme vor- version of the psyop, but. Uh, one, he paints, yeah, he's wishy-washy, and then he acknowledges that there's some risk that will be taken over. And then he refers, well, as long as we don't have somebody that's an extinctionist creating the algorithm, I mean, <laughs> we wouldn't want that. Um, you know, not everybody uh, claims their beliefs outwardly. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, just because they weren't on the cover of the New York Times outwardly saying it, you know, how do you know Elon Musk Personally, how do you know that those people that are coding these things don't have that exact idea in mind? What, because they didn't tell you in a board meeting? So he's outwardly acknowledging that, one, he gave us a reference. This isn't a conspiracy theory in the uh, uh, common nomenclature. He gave us a fact that there is a group of people that believe in voluntary extinction of the human race. And there's a lot of ways that one could go about doing that. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways would be to, you know, uh, start priming people to go into this alternative future where everything is happy and awesome and in no way worrisome to you. It's only worrisome to the systems of power and control that if this got in the wrong hands, they'd lose all their, all their control. And if they lose their control, we'll lose all of our safety and as long as we don't have uh, nefarious characters like Les Knight, and maybe he's not nefarious, but his beliefs sure are, that we should voluntarily ex- uh, uh, create extinction of the human race, and we wouldn't want somebody like that controlling the AI, but it is on the table as a reality, according to one of the smartest people on Earth, Elon Musk. What about- and there's quite a few people in this cycle of the woods who have that yeah. ex- either explicit or implicit extinctionist view. Yeah. What was that? What? What did you just say? What about- and there's quite a few people in this cycle of the woods who have that yeah. ex- either explicit or implicit extinctionist view. <laughs> I'm gonna just I mean, one some, more, yeah. one more time for the people in the back, David. What about- and there's quite a few people in this cycle of the woods who have that yeah. ex- either explicit or implicit extinctionist view. There are people in this neck of the woods, i.e., California, in the big tech industry that he said either implicitly or explicitly have this exact goal in mind. I'm going to let him keep going. Yes. Whether you view humanity as a blight on the face of the yeah, earth. Yeah, there's a lot of antinatalists in the, in the world yeah. and people who... And anti, anti-human. Yes, yeah. yes. Like you said, people who don't have the pride in being human, right? There's people who yeah, even say, like or people even say that that's a speciesism, you know? That's a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a human supremacist. I'll, I'll be open about that one. Yeah. I mean, um, I think uh, we got to fight for team human. Like yeah. if we don't fight for it as humans, who, who will? Yeah. I mean, if the earth exists and humans do not, then it's like we're saving the planet for who at that point? Yeah. Yeah. 
I have a guess who we're saving the planet for, Dave. And it ain't for the common folk, homie. <laughs> All this artificial uh, mumbo-jumbo that they're talking about, this awesome future where everybody's, uh, you know, getting all of their needs met by artificial means, food, shelter, all of your living, they've already started that process. They started that process a long time ago. But now they got to start grooming us for the next step. And the next step, if there are, if there, no, not if, there are, according to Elon Musk, people in the positions that could create this reality with the implicit and or explicit stated goal of being human extinctionists Mm -hmm. or you could say people who desire to depopulate the earth Mm -hmm. a very famous one is named bill gates but it's people in the big tech industry that are doing this it's people in the big tech industry that are carrying around these explicit and implicit beliefs of eradicating human species making them extinct, humans. But they are going to try to get us into a different type. We're not going to be humans. Humans will be extinct, but we're going to try to bring about something else. And the way that you would do that is you have to start, I'm going to keep saying it, grooming people into this belief that this is going, this is an inevitability and going to happen. And here is performer uh, Bo Burnham Bo Burnham talking about having gone into Silicon Valley and what he noticed. Why do you think Snapchat exists? Why do you think they would make a company for 13-year-olds where uh, a photo disappears after 24 hours? Why do you think kids would want to use that? You know, I've been to Silicon Valley. I've met these places. They're, they're, they're buildings full of 300 people who are all employed to give children what they want, not what they need. The, the base, base interests of children's wants. Because before, you wanted to get to a kid, you had to appeal to their parents because their parents would turn the television off. So if you wanted to make a program for a kid, it had to appeal to their parents because their parents were in control of the media they consumed. The kids have direct access to it now, so it doesn't matter. And there's an entire dialogue happening between these tech companies and kids that parents are completely unaware of. Dave, you actually made that exact point on our show before. Do you recall? Mm-hmm. You That's were like, funny. yeah. Huh? And you gotta, yeah, they're marketing it to the kids as opposed to, to the parents. Exactly. You used to program towards the parents the, the nag effect. Exactly. And now they get to skip. They get to skip right by the parents. Mm -hmm. And they've created a lot of mechanisms to be able to get right through, right by the parents. And kids are who you have to get to. Before the parents have have actually given them real uh, morals and ethics and values, you have to create separation between the child and the parent. You have to remove the parental authority. The God-given right, the natural right of parents to have authority over their kids until they're legal adults belongs to the parents. So if you are going to uh, create this outcome that you want, you need more control, and you need to control the thoughts of kids to create this and instill this belief that it is a, what's the I word? Inevitability. Inevitability. So I'm going to pull in a real loose cannon. I'm going to pull in David Icke on this one. And this, he is a known, <clears throat> wildly known conspiracy theorist. But sometimes um, they, you know, the conspiracy, quote unquote, spirit, conspiracy theorists say uh, it, some, some real truth. And if you could get past some of the dramatics of the language, you might be able to hear some truth in this one. 
I can't even believe I'm asking this question, but do you see any way where humans and robots can coexist harmoniously? Once AI is connected to the human brain, AI will do more and more of human thinking until human thinking as we know it is basically negligible. In other words, human consciousness reaching conclusions through a sovereign mind is planned to be history because that's the last thing these uh, insane people want. So the idea of AI is to take over the human mind, the human perceptual processes, thus dictate human behavior. That's why it's happening. And, and the reason they're doing so much targeting of the young and have done over the years now um, <clears throat> in terms of this technology is because the young are going to be the adults when they want to bring this in full blown. So they're preparing them and perceptually programming them to accept it. Strong words from Mr. David Icke there. Makes sense. Well, I mean, you know, we have a lot of evidence for this is happening. And, you know, oh, we can say, oh, it's like, well, they're just marketing to kids. What's the big deal? It's like, well, we know that marketing and nudging, and nudging comes from the marketing world. Marketing world comes from the psychology world. And it is, psychology world is the study of the brain, and marketing is a direct descendant of mind control. Now, we might have uh, created what we consider to be innocuous uh, practices that, you know, you and I use, engage in marketing. We try to influence people to engage in a trusting relationship with us. We do that. Not saying that it can't exist. I'm just saying that because it does exist, we need to be able to examine it with some pretty fresh eyes and not just take it for granted because it's been normalized that this behavior is to continue. Because... If it does, uh, we're looking at a wildly new, dramatically new looking future. I believe this is going to play off the point that uh, David Icke just set up, which was that AI is going to take over more and more and more of human thinking. I believe, I believe, let me, before I jump right into these clips, let me take a look to see if... Uh, Let's see. I believe I'm going to I'm going to save those clips. I'm going to save those clips for another show because there is the next show that we're going to take on is going to be right after this. Um, I'm going to you know what? It's time, David. It's time. This is what the world's going to look like. Tired of waiting for a response from an adoption agency? Unable to find a suitable surrogate mother? Worried about pregnancy complications? Worry no more because Ectolife got you covered. Oh yeah, the matrix. What is great? What is that? Growing babies. What is ecto life? You ask. Introducing EctoLife, the world's first artificial womb facility powered entirely by renewable energy. EctoLife allows infertile couple to conceive a baby and become the true biological parents of their own offspring. It's a perfect solution for women who had their uterus surgically removed due to cancer or other complications. With EctoLife, premature births and C-sections will be a thing of the past. EctoLife is designed to help countries that are suffering from severe population decline, including Japan, Bulgaria, South Korea, and many others. Who is it for, Dave, to start? 
pe- uh, people who have had their uh, infertile couples, yep. who've had their uteruses removed, <laughs> some by yeah, cancer. natural and others by, yeah. you know, chopping them out and turning it into a dick. And it's also for countries who are having population decline. Correct. That's it how it's exactly presented. like hooking people up into the matrix. I encourage you to look up the Ecto Life commercial and promo, which we're going to deconstruct here to close this show down so we can set up our next show. I encourage you to go watch it. Visually, it's stunning. And stunning is the right word here. But they, so my personal belief is that one of the easiest ways to uh, put really terrible intended practices into place is to start with the concept that it's for someone's benefit. And you start with what, you start by pulling the heartstrings, saying, hey, you know, there are these people out there that they can't, you know, they can't conceive. And so you're like, oh, man, I feel really bad for these people. I feel terrible for the person that has had their womb removed. And you know what? Like, you should feel terrible for those people. If, if, it, if it was an accident and they wanted a child, like, that is a tragic situation. There is no doubt about it. In no way would I ever make fun and poke at an individual that has experienced this. All I'm saying is that this is a psychological hook to get you hooked into hearing them out. Oh, you want to do some good in the world? Okay, I'll hear you out. Let's go into the next clip, which is about the scale of operations. The facility features 75 highly equipped labs. Each state-of-the-art lab can accommodate up to 400 growth pods or artificial wombs. Every pod is designed to replicate the exact conditions that exist inside the mother's uterus. single building can incubate up to 30,000 lab-grown babies per year. Ectolife allows your baby to develop in an infection-free environment. The pods are made of materials that prevent germs from sticking to their surfaces. Every growth pod features sensors that can monitor your baby's vital signs, including heartbeat, temperature, blood pressure, breathing rate, and oxygen saturation. Artificial intelligence-based system also monitors the physical features of your baby and reports any potential genetic abnormalities. Got to make sure that it's an infection-free sanitary zone, Dave. Got to use and make sure it's infection-free. But don't worry. I know what you're thinking. Well, you know, that's a little impersonal. You know, it can't completely simulate the contact with the mother. I mean, it's being grown in an artificial womb away from everything. And, you know, I know a little bit about some basic biology. Not a lot of bit. I know a little bit. And I know for a fact that that little tiny little baby that is growing from the beginning has no energetic separation in its ability to distinguish between the energy of itself and its mother. Where it's yeah, being it actually grown. can't uh, distinguish that there's a difference until about six months worth of age. So now we're going to start them in an artificial environment with no physical contact with their mother. And I'm sure that's going to go really well. But don't worry, they got a solution for us. The pods are equipped with a screen that displays real-time data on the developmental progress of your baby. These data are sent directly to your phone so you can track your baby's health from the comfort of your zone. Your zone. The app also provides you with a high-resolution live view of your baby's development. A 
special section in the app allows you to watch a time lapse of your baby's growth and share it directly with your loved ones. Babies can recognize language and learn new words while still in the womb. Ectolife Growth Pods feature internal speakers that play a wide range of words and music to your baby. Through the app, you can choose the playlist that your baby listens to. You can also directly sing to your baby and make them familiar with your voice before birth. Our goal is to provide you with an intelligent offspring that truly reflects your smart choices. Your smart choices. Alex Antic said that smart was the new word for control. But they're your smart choices, Dave. It's a smart choice. Yeah, don't leave your zone. Don't leave your zone. Make the smart choice. You want to be smart. You don't want to be like one of these dumb, natural people that live out off of the land. You want to be like us. We're smart and, and we're so smart, and we believe you're so smart, we're going to try to convince you of this. Ectolife improves your bonding experience with your baby. What? Let's run that back. Ectolife improves your bonding experience with your baby. This is an improvement to, to mothering and to birthing, Dave. They did it. This is, an imp- this, is imp- this is how you improve the bonding. You separate, you see. That's how you improve the bonding is you separate them. That's yep. how you do it. Yep. I mean, it's hidden in the language. How could you possibly? Oh, my God. Oh, well, we got part of this recorded on video. We'll yeah, make some highlights it. from it. it. It's improved bonding, David. Thanks to a 360 degrees camera that's fitted inside your baby's growth pod, you can use your virtual reality headset to explore what it's like to be in your baby's place. See what they see and hear what they hear. Using a wireless haptic suit connected to your baby's growth pod, you will be able to sense their kicks in the womb and share this experience with your friends and family members. They have haptic suits. That you can put on so when the baby kicks in the artificial uh, womb from another zone, you can feel it too. And that's going to improve the bonding, David. It's going to improve the bonding. It's also going to, man, don't worry. They're going to make it. Oh, it's going to be great. Here it comes. With Ectolife, your baby will receive the best nutrients that can support their growth. Each group of pods is connected to two central bioreactors. The first bioreactor contains nutrients and oxygen, which are supplied to your baby through an artificial umbilical cord. This bioreactor also contains a liquid solution that serves as the ambiotic fluid that surrounds babies in the mother's uterus. It's rich of vital hormones, growth factors, and antibodies that sustain your baby's growth and development. Thanks to a system controlled by artificial intelligence, each baby receives custom nutrients tailored to their needs. Artificial intelligence, going to connect all these babies through an artificial umbilical cord to those bio bio tower tower things and it's going to be so nutritious oh it's going to be nutritious and you're gonna love it it's inevitable that this is what's going to happen don't worry i know what you're thinking what about all that waste you know because babies have waste too you got to clear out all that waste what are they going to do with it you want to take a guess 
The second bioreactor is designed to eliminate any waste products produced by the babies. The artificial umbilical cord helps the babies to release their waste products into the second bioreactor. With the help of a delicate layer of engineered enzymes, the second bioreactor can then recycle waste products and turn them back into useful nutrients. This way, the facility ensures a steady and sustainable supply of fresh nutrients to your baby. Don't worry, Dave. They're going to turn all that waste into food. Wouldn't want it to go to waste. I hate this, dude. I've never been so irate in my whole fucking life. That's Dave right now. Oh, wait. There's more. With Ectolife, miscarriage and low sperm count are a thing of the past. Prior to placing the fertilized embryo of your baby inside the growth pod, in vitro fertilization is used to create and select the most viable and genetically superior embryo, giving your baby a chance to develop without any biological hurdles. If you want your baby to stand out and have a brighter future, our elite package offers you the opportunity to... The what package? Your baby stands out and has a brighter future. You get the elite package. Elite. It's the elite package. For whom? Who's going to be able to afford this, Dave? It's going to be the elite package. Listen to what's possible. A chance to develop without any biological hurdles. If you want your baby to stand out and have a brighter future, our Elite Package offers you the opportunity to genetically engineer the embryo before implanting it into the artificial womb. Thanks to CRISPR-Cas9 gene editing tool, you can edit any trait of your baby through a wide range of over 300 genes. By genetically engineering a set of genes, the Elite Package allows you to customize your baby's eye color, hair color, skin tone, physical strength, height, and level of intelligence. It also allows you to fix any inherited genetic diseases that are part of your family history so that your baby and their offspring will live a healthy, comfortable life free of genetic diseases. Oh, it's going to be so great. Um, Don't worry, Dave. We'll be able to edit your genes, and you'll be able to come out as the elite package. I'll be able to have my elite packaged baby that is grown in my artificial sack, and it's all going to work out. This is all leading up to a finale, a finale to close this show. Let's set up the next show with this one, which is acting as the finale. Say goodbye to the pain of childbirth and birth-related muscle contractions. Ectolife provides you a safe, pain-free alternative that helps you deliver your baby without stress. The delivery process is smooth, convenient, and can be done with just a push of a button. After discharging the amniotic fluid from the artificial womb, you will be able to easily remove your baby from the growth pod. Everything is perfectly designed so you and your partner can enjoy the delivery process. To ensure full transparency, our post-delivery free DNA paternity test helps you confirm the genetic identity of your baby so you can return home knowing that your baby is genetically yours. don't have to worry about power cuts or carbon footprint. Ectolife uses highly efficient, clean, renewable energy consisting of solar and wind power. 
genetically advanced pods operate with minimal energy needs, making it easy for your baby to make it to full term without any complications. And for those who want a more convenient solution, Ectolife is made accessible so your life can be easier. Thanks to our miniaturized bioreactors and long-lasting batteries, you can use Ectolife growth pods at the comfort of your home, allowing you to incubate your baby in your building without the need to visit our factory. Factory. By owning your special growth pod, you will have the ability to build a happy family, one baby at a time, away from any birth complications. Oh boy, isn't it going to be so great, Dave? And for the real elites, they won't even have to go to the factory, bro. They'll be able to grow the baby from the comfort of their own home. Can you believe it? So they're going to tell you what their intention is. This is the last clip that I have. It's three seconds long, and it is the setup for episode eight, which is going to be called... Are you ready for it? No, I'm gonna save it. You're not ready for it. I'm not. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and uh and let's preview this final final clip. Where are we going next episode? Acto life. Reinventing evolution. Oh boy. They're reinventing evolution, bro. That's how smart they are. They're re- they're reinventing evolution. Please give us your booty. This is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so hard. Y'all. Hey, thank you to the producers that produced this show with their booty. We appreciate it. Did it make it worth it? Yeah. It made it better. It made it better. It did and it's it always worth it, but it certainly did make it better. Yeah, man. Um, we're going to talk about it in episode eight. I, You know, I had an idea of where I was going to go with this series of uh, episodes, and the more that I kept digging, the more shit just kept coming out. Call those a rabbit hole. And I've been in a deep one, and we're going to hear all about it next week when it comes to episode eight called Hackable Humans. See you there.